Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radiolab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know, wherever you get podcasts. This is The Takeaway. I'm Melissa Harris-Perry. Tonight, I asked Aaron to marry me. This is the news Zoe Zephyr wants all of us to know. She pinned a tweet of the announcement at the top of her profile, along with some photos of the emotional moment. And Zephyr's tweet continues, A year ago, I told Aaron I was looking for a love that felt like home. I found that and so much more. I found my future, my family, and my forever. Now, typically, a marriage proposal tweet from a first-term state representative in Montana would not make national headlines. But Zoe Zephyr has probably gotten used to making headlines these days. If you are forcing a trans child to go through puberty when they are trans, that is tantamount to torture. And this body should be ashamed. If you vote yes on this bill, And yes, on these amendments, I hope the next time there's an invocation, when you bow your heads in prayer, you see the blood on your hands. The first openly trans representative in the history of the Montana legislature, Zoe Zephyr, spoke out against legislation that banned gender-affirming health care in her state. In response to her criticism, Republican lawmakers voted to censure her, denying her the right to speak for the remainder of the legislative session, and arguing that she had broken decorum. And when the speaker asks me to apologize uh, on behalf of decorum, what he is really asking me to do is be silent when my community is facing bills that get us killed. Zephyr filed a lawsuit to challenge the move, but a Montana district judge denied her reinstatement. Ironically, the action didn't marginalize the voice of Zoe Zephyr. It amplified it, meaning an even bigger platform to announce the happy news of her engagement. Now, we spoke with Zoe last week before she popped the question, and she told us about the legislation that started all of this, Montana State Senate Bill 99. Just a note, there is a mention of suicide and suicidality in this conversation. So Senate Bill 99 is a bill that bans gender-affirming care for trans youth. And what that means at this very start, what that looks like, gender-affirming care, is something as simple as social transitioning, cutting your hair short, growing it long, dressing in different clothes, going by a different name or pronoun. And then it also, as it goes along, it begins to ban other forms of care, such as puberty blockers or um, hormone replacement therapy, which is the kind of care that I'm on. And it's important to pause at this moment and say that this is care that is done slowly and carefully with the child, their parent, therapists, endocrinologists, and their doctors in accordance with every major medical association's best practices. And so it ban- this bill, Senate Bill 99, bans that care, bans care approved by every major medical association, puberty blockers, hormone replacement therapy, and for um, older teens, up to including things like top surgery, uh, mastectomy, a procedure that is 
performed rarely on trans teens, but sometimes. And notably, this bill bans it for trans teens, but does not ban mastectomies or breast augmentations for cisgender teens. Well, let me ask this, Representative. Are there any other pediatric medical procedures, perhaps for the care of childhood cancers or perhaps for juvenile diabetes, type 1 diabetes? Are there any other pediatric medical procedures or treatments that are banned explicitly in the state of Montana? Not that I am aware of. And that is such an important point to bring up that when we look at the type of care that people need access to, to live, to live lives full of joy, full of meaning. We trust our medical associations. We trust our patients, their parents, and doctors to make those medical decisions. And then even in Montana, we have a constitutional right to privacy, and it has been established that includes privacy in our healthcare. The government is not, should not be in that doctor's office. And in this one instance, the government has said, except for trans people. Those people we're going to target and inject ourselves into their healthcare decisions. This, um, these, this wave, this current wave, and there, we're maybe even in the third or fourth wave of anti-trans, anti-LGBTQ bills across um, American state legislatures. I, I want you to help our audience to understand for a bit, because I always feel like there's just a little bit of. Um, sort of a default to the federal government. There's a there's a sense that like, oh, state reps must be about like, you know, a House of Representatives member, right? Have big staffs, plenty of resources, get paid a decent salary. Can you just help us to understand a little bit about what it means to be um, a member of the Montana State Legislature? Are you paid a lot? Do you have a big staff? Um. No, I think that's a misconception. I can't speak for other states, but here in Montana, um, I do not uh, have staff. Um, you know, I have people who can work on my campaigns and do work on my campaigns um, that I hire with campaign funds. But by and large, I it, it's me. When you email the my legislator email, you're emailing me directly. I'm the one who goes through it. And like the last few weeks when it's been incredibly busy, I'm the one who's struggling to keep up with it. Um, and, and in terms of pay, uh, this session we came in and the rate for a legislator was, uh, hourly rate came out to be about $12 an hour um, is what we were making. We voted um, to raise that pay this session and rightly called out that if we want a representative democracy, our wages as a legislature can't be that low or we exclude people who are in their 20s, who are working jobs, who don't have the ability to just say, oh, well, I'm retired and I can live off of my retirement and do this legislating thing uh, on the side. So it's... um. It's a common misconception where uh, about the the control or the size of of state legislatures, and these places are important because we are in many ways the front line of the fight for democracy. And and I'm asking that, Representative Zephyr, because to see so many similar brutalizing bills appear in all of these under-resourced, underpaid, part-time um, state legislatures that don't have um, big staffs suggests to me that there's a coordinated effort to bring these bills 
to consideration because presumably if you if you have to answer all your constituent emails, right? And you know, do all of the things you do on your regular day job and all of that, no matter what your ideology, there's just only so much time you have for um, for the legislative efforts in terms of writing new things. And I, it's hard for me to believe everyone across the country came up with the same idea about banning affirming gender affirming care for minors all at the same time. Yeah, we are seeing a coordinated effort from uh, far right organizations in the country who are pitching these kinds of bills. Um, it's why the language matches so similarly to other bills. It's why the openings of representatives who are pushing these anti-trans bills sound eerily similar to the openings of legislators in other areas. It's why the same handful of, quote, detransitioners are flying around the country to um, speak on these bills. Um, and I think what we saw that at the beginning, because it's important to remember that these anti-trans bills began initially with a failed attempt at bathroom bans. And then their second attempt to sort of find a way in was in sports bans. But their goal was never to simply pass a sports ban. The goal was, as uh, was stated in um, one of the conservative conventions this year, the goal was the elimination of trans people from public life entirely. And we have seen that escalation of legislation over the past few years. We have seen it go, and now we're seeing these uh, healthcare bans beginning to take, take root. We're seeing healthcare bans, not just for youth, but in Missouri, adult healthcare bans. And the in Florida, we bills that make it so that a trans child could be taken away from their parents. And Florida just passed a bathroom ban um, that makes it incredibly difficult to be a trans person in public. So we're seeing not only coordinated efforts from um, far-right groups in the country to pass anti-trans legislation, but we are seeing an escalation of those attacks with an ultimate goal of removing trans people from public life entirely. And that is why trans people and our allies are standing in our communities and standing in our legislatures and bringing attention to the urgency of this situation. Speaking of banning trans people from public life, this is essentially what happened to you in the context of being censured. Can you tell our listeners a bit about what happened? Yes. Yeah, so as Senate Bill 99 was heard for the final time on the House floor, I rose up to speak on the bill and to tell my colleagues the real harm that this bill was going to bring. We know statistics that say uh, trans youth who receive gender-affirming care have a 73% reduction in suicidality. We know that. We've talked about that in that legislature. But I've also had personal experiences. I have lost friends to suicide this year. I have heard from people attacked on the side of the road in my state. We have, there was a trans teen in my state who attempted to take her life while watching one of those hearings. And another trans teen in the hospital, when the ER doctor asked what's going on, why was there a suicide attempt, the trans teen said, my state doesn't want me. And so I rose to hold the legislative body accountable and say, these bills are going to get my community killed. And how I told them that was I said, if you vote for this bill, 
The next time you bow your heads in prayer, I hope you see the blood on your hands. And in doing so, I was not being hyperbolic. I was speaking to real harm that comes when a legislature passes these kinds of bills that target a community and the healthcare that community needs to live happy and fulfilling lives. Quick break right here. More with Zoe Zephyr right after this. Each election season, political memoirs abound, doorstops that sometimes divulge more than intended. No matter how diligently they present themselves in the most electable light, they always reveal themselves, their insecurities, their fears, their ambitions. How to read a Politico on this week's On the Media from WNYC. Find On the Media wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back with Montana State Representative Zoe Zephyr. What I appreciate about your willingness to stand and speak to the harm in that moment is suggests to me a belief in deliberative democracy, right? That um, whatever you know about counting the votes, right, and whether or not a thing is going to pass, that presumably you're sent to the legislature in part to speak and to um, to to make public for the record, right, um, these experiences. And, and I think it also even, from my watching of it, my reading of um, of your intentions is about saying, look, maybe you don't know, right? Maybe you, conservative legislator, you know, have only been lobbied on one side of this. So let me let me expand your understanding of what this human experience is and what this legislative action could mean, which it feels to me is like necessary in our democracy for us to do. But the response of your Republican colleagues was what? So you point out exactly right that we have a representative democracy. There are 11,000 Montanans who sent me to the Capitol to be their voice, not just to vote yes or no on certain things, but to be part of the speech and debate over critical issues impacting our state, including um, human rights, including housing, including healthcare, um, including protecting our judicial branch. And when I rose in this instance, the Republican supermajority, and particularly the speaker, took issue uh, with what I said and chose to, rather than take the vote and say, we got the bill passed, move on, chose to refuse to acknowledge me for the remainder of the legislative session, refused to grant me the ability to represent my community on any debate, on any bill going forward. And in doing so, he took away their right to representation, to that it was an attack on the very first principles of our country. Did you curse? No, I didn't curse. I didn't yell. I stated clearly and precisely the harm that these bills bring. Did you throw anything? No. <laughs> Only thing I, I, I did was show my heart and say exactly what these bills do. The 11,000 people who sent you to the House to represent them, are they all 11,000 trans folks? No, they are from a community who have a ton of concerns. They are a community that has trans folks in it. Those trans folks are part uh, of the community. And those trans folks didn't just send me there to represent them on trans rights either. 
they sent them sent me there to represent them on an array of issues, uh, you know, including housing. My district is 50% renters. And when rental bills came forward, I'm not allowed, I was not allowed to speak on them. Do you have a pathway for addressing this within the context of how the Montana State Legislature works? Your constituents, some of whom are trans folks, some of whom aren't. Folks who are trans folks have a whole variety of issues. <laughs> folks who um, are not trans folks also care about these issues. Your voice has remained on has remained unheard on all of these issues. Do you have a pathway for rectifying the lost minutes, moments, hours, days, weeks um, of representing your constituents' interests? You know, there were over 100 bills as we wrapped up the last week of the legislative session. There were over 100 bills, including big housing policy, including LGBTQ bills, including the state's budget entire budget that 11,000 Montanans lacked representation in the debate process on those bills. Um, now that the legislature has adjourned, um, the censure uh, has ceased. Um, and so next session, I will be, be allowed to speak, my understanding is. But that representation was lost. And what I am seeking to do is look at how rules going forward can be addressed to make sure that doesn't happen again. Are there any, is there any legal recourse for the 11,000 constituents who lost their voice on a hundred, over a hundred pieces of legislation? And ultimately, um, if recourse cannot be found in the legislature or in the courts, it's up to us as a community to come together and find recourse in the ballot box. Representative, why'd you run for office in the first place? I went to testify in 2021 on um, a handful of bills, including the first bill I testified being the uh, trans sports ban, as I mentioned, those being the very impetus of a lot of the anti-trans uh, laws that we're hearing. I testified against it as a former high-level athlete myself. Um, and it was like talking to a room of people who did not want to listen and then I watched bill after bill pass by a few votes. And I thought we will never have um, be able to move the needle if we don't have representation in that room. And I went to my uh, senator at the time, Senator Bryce Bennett, who was the first openly gay man elected to the Montana legislature. And I asked him, I said, I want to find the room that my voice can do the most good in. Is that the legislature? Is that the right place to be? Should I be doing that? Should I be at an org? Should I be at the local level? And he said, I believe that room is, is the room. That is the right room to be in. And I said, okay, then I will steal my heart. I will let this, this fire um, burn within me and I will go talk to my community. And I did. And it turns out my community had the same cares and same concerns that I had. And our conversations, we were, we were in resonance with one another, and I was grateful uh, to be sent to represent them uh, in the People's House. As you were talking about um, what your inbox must look like these days, I'm sure a fair bit of it is folks like us, you know, bothering you. Hey, will you come on and talk to us uh, in the press? 
I'm sure there's a lot of love in there from all kinds of folks, from trans folks, from families, from allies. But I've been public long enough to know that a lot of it must be pretty ugly. And I'm wondering, um, as you talked about stealing your heart and undoubtedly now stealing your spine, how you're feeling right now. Are you at all regretting that decision to be that voice in that room? When you stand up for your community, when you stand up for democracy itself, when you're on a moral and just path, when you're on the right side of history, it is easy to steal yourself. It is easy to stand tall. So I do not have regrets for defending my community. I do not have regrets for standing by my community when they protested. I don't regret standing for democracy. Um, How could I? How could I be in a legislature if I were not willing to stand for democracy? And I will say to the messages, again, it is an overwhelming amount of support. It is just in public in my legislative email, in social media, again and again and again. I hear people who are grateful, sometimes specifically for my defense of the trans community. But by and large, what people are saying is, thank you for standing for democracy. Thank you for representing your community, even if I disagree with them, even if I wouldn't support X, Y, or Z bill. Thank you for representing your community. And it's not right that someone tried to trample on democracy um, to get um, to silence opposition to their bills. A very last question. Um, I am moved and heartbroken by the idea of a young person attempting to take their own life um, in part because their state does not want them. So on the off chance that instead of watching hate, they happen to be listening in this moment. What do you have to say to the trans young person, whether they're living in Montana or anywhere else, maybe riding in the back of their parents' car right now, which is where all young people hear public radio for the first time. Um, (laughs) What do you have to say to them about who wants them and the value of their lives? I hope, first and foremost, I hope you see a glimpse of the fact that people are fighting for you. I hope you see a glimpse of what our community can be when people stand up. And I hope you understand that when we say trans people are loved, trans people belong, they're not hollow words. We are here in the rooms. Trans people like me are in those rooms fighting for you. Trans people have been in this country before this country had the name it has. And we'll be here long after the bills targeting us have fallen to the dustbin of history. And we will work together in our communities to make sure that we defend trans people. We will win in our communities because our communities broadly will support us. We will win in the courts and someday we will win in the legislature. And until all of these bills stop coming, my ask is that you look in the mirror and love yourself as the trans person you are, you know, who be proud of who you are and know we're fighting for you and know we will win in the end. And until then, stand tall and stay alive. 
Zoe Zephyr represents Montana's 100th House District. Representative Zephyr, thank you so much for taking the time with us. Thank you so much for having me. Take care.